Here's a disturbing observation to think about. The easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. That's disturbing, isn't it? That you have deceived yourself into, you've talked yourself into, you've sold yourself on every bad decision that you've ever made. Worse yet, you were the mastermind behind most of your most regrettable decisions, whether they were financial, relational, professional, or academic. You were there for all of them. And to make it even worse, you've probably done more to undermine yourself than any other individual on the planet. Now granted, there were outside pressures and there were other voices, people promising you stuff, uh, trying to sell you stuff, but in the end, you decided. Now I know so much about you because I'm equally guilty like you. We're continuing this series, Better, Fewer, More, where we're focusing on something that we all have to do, but if you're like me, you don't like to think about it much. Decision-making. And my hope for the series is that this will not be a decision-making class that many of us went through in college, but rather that this series will be more like what I discovered right after college. That the right question can be incredibly powerful and helpful in making decisions. That there can be a powerful and, and often overlooked connection between good questions and good decisions. That good questions can sort of help us make better decisions with fewer regrets and be more Christ-like. Hence the title of this series. That good questions sort of set us up for good decisions. And in some ways, our decisions are no better than the questions that we ask, or the questions we don't know, or we don't want to ask. And we said last week that it isn't enough to ask the questions. We have to ask the question, we have to answer honestly, and then we have to act appropriately. And this will help not just you make better decisions with fewer regrets and be more Christ-like, this will help those around you because we are not the only people impacted by our decisions. We are not the only people impacted by our regrets. And we are not the only people impacted by our amount of Christ-likeness. So to help us do this, I encourage you to memorize a verse from Proverbs 27, 12. Was anyone able to memorize it? And maybe you want to try to comment in the chat with the verse. Feel free to try in the chat. And the reason for this homework assignment is that it can be helpful for making decisions. To sort of remind us to look at what is coming not just what is right in front of us. And here's the verse in case you missed it or you haven't memorized it yet. Proverbs 27, verse 12. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And when deciding what to do, prudent or wise people consider what is ahead and how it might impact them. Simple or foolish people, not so much. They choose now over later. They, they choose to keep going when they should make a different decision, but they don't make a different decision. And the questions we are going to discuss in this series will help you to see danger and take refuge. Because for most of us, we can look back and see the dangerous things we did, but in the moment, it's so much harder. And that is why memorizing a verse like this and also gathering with other like-minded people and really so much more of what we do as a church, it helps us to see our decisions from a different perspective. I want to thank North Point Community Church for many of the questions behind this series. And I think you'll find that these questions are really helpful as they help you to slow down, see danger coming, and hopefully connect the dots and make a different decision. So before we uh, get to the first question, we need to sort of go back to that opening observation that the easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. And it's hard to make good decisions with fewer regrets and to be more Christ-like when you are deceiving yourself, that you can convince yourself of just about anything, and so can I. And as you may know from recovery groups like AA and NA or OA, rigorous honesty is the first rule of recovery. 
That rigorous honesty with ourselves and with others is incredibly important. That rigorous sort of means extremely thorough, exhaustive, sometimes exhausting, meticulous honesty with ourselves and others. That, that's the first step to make better decisions, to avoid unnecessary regret, and to be more Christ-like. You've got to tell yourself the truth. You have to tell yourself the truth even if it makes you feel bad about yourself. Now, this runs a bit contrary to the grain of our culture, but there are worse things than feeling bad about yourself. Denying something bad about yourself, refusing to acknowledge what's bad about ourselves, is bad for ourselves. So to make the best decision, you have to be honest with yourself, even if it makes you feel bad about yourself. And the good thing is that Jesus is right there and loves you in spite of whatever that thing is that makes you feel bad about yourself. He already knows about it anyhow. And if you aren't honest about why you're choosing what you're choosing, you'll have a difficult time taking responsibility for the outcome of your decision. Because if we're dishonest with ourselves when we're making a decision, we will be dishonest with ourselves about where to lay the blame for the outcome of our bad decisions. And so your first step might be to simply be honest with yourself about the fact that you're not always honest with yourself. Uh, whatever the case, you've got to develop the habit of telling yourself the truth, specifically the uncomfortable truth about why you chose what you chose to do. Which leads us to the first question. Question number one, am I being honest with myself? I think this question in particular, but really probably all five of the questions in this series, for this question it helps to ask it out loud. It can also help to sort of add a word. Am I being honest with myself really? And the reason we have to add really is because we are so prone to deceive ourselves. Why am I doing this really? Why am I avoiding him really? Why do I do that on social media really? Why do I keep making excuses really? Why did I say yes really? Why did I choose to wear, purchase, or lease that really? Why did I move in? Why am I moving out really? Why won't I get help really? The easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. And while it isn't new for us to deceive ourselves, we have a term for it, confirmation bias. And we sort of naturally open ourselves up to anything that confirms what we already think and what we already want to do. We instinctively sort of set aside or reject anything to the contrary. Uh, Francis Bacon, the 17th century philosopher and statesman, made this observation. The human understanding when it has once occupied or adopted an opinion draws all things else to support and agree with it. In other words, once we have made up our minds about something, we become a magnet for anything that supports our opinion. Many times, even though there's plenty of arguments to the contrary. He continues, And though there be a great number and weight of instances to be found on the other side, yet these it neglect, either neglects or despises, or else by some distinction sets aside and rejects. That this has been going on for a long time, but this doesn't tell us why or what to do about it. However, almost 2,500 years before Francis Bacon wrote these words, a Judean advisor turned prophet made a similar observation. But he added a bit more helpful explanation. Here's the backstory to this prophet's explanation. Around 600 BC, Jeremiah, who wrote the Old Testament book, Jeremiah, he served as an advisor to some of the Judean kings who should have listened and take Jeremiah's, taken a Jeremiah's advice. But of course, the advantage of being a king is that you don't have to take anyone's advice. And ancient Judah was sort of the southern half of what we consider the, the Holy Land. And the kings that Jeremiah advised were kings over that part of the world. And these kings usually became kings when they were pretty young, as teens or 20-year-olds. 
Uh, and so this really started with Jehoiakim. Uh, Jehoiakim and Judah would pay a financial tribute to Babylon, who in return would provide Judah with military support and Judah could sort of run its own affairs. However, the king didn't necessarily like paying the tribute to Babylon, and so he stopped paying this tribute to Babylon. And then Judah basically sort of changed banks and realigned with Babylon's rival, Egypt. And when this happened, Jeremiah begged the king to reverse course because this wasn't just a bad decision, it was a dangerous decision as well. That the mighty king Nebuchadnezzar was not in a good mood after being sort of defeated by the Egyptian army. And so Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, would take out some of his anger on this vassal state. And not only was this a foolish and dangerous decision, but Jeremiah told the king his decision was contrary to God's will for the people and for the nation. But as kings tend to do, and as we tend to do, the king ignored the advice. Jehoiakim, for the most part, had abandoned the ways of God and following him. His sexual appetites led, them, led him way outside of the moral bounds of the Jewish law. That Jehoiakim would ignore Jeremiah's advice. And sure enough, King Nebuchadnezzar did exactly what Jeremiah predicted. Nebuchadnezzar came looking for his tribute, his money. And this would happen to a few different kings, but in sort of similar ways. And Nebuchadnezzar and his armies entered the city, put the king in chains, and then marched the king back to the city of Babylon and added the king to Nebuchadnezzar's king collection. Like some people collect coins, some people collect baseball cards. King Nebuchadnezzar collected other kings. That whenever he conquered a territory, he would capture the king alive, take the king back to Babylon, and add him to his king collection. And then when he wanted to sort of show off how powerful he was, Nebuchadnezzar would bring all of these kings out, sort of like show and tell, and parade them around the courtroom uh, in golden chains. And each king would walk with his hand on the shoulder of the king in front of him. Because in addition to being chained, King Nebuchadnezzar had all these kings blinded. Now back to the story. Uh, again, the story sort of uh, would repeat itself a few times. Each time, Jeremiah would plead with the king to change his mind and pay the tribute to Babylon. Because this wouldn't end well for the king, for his family, or for the nation. And this is what was said about one of the kings, King Zedekiah, in 2 Chronicles 36:12. But Zedekiah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and he refused to humble himself when the prophet Jeremiah spoke to him directly from the Lord. Verse 13, Zedekiah was a hard and stubborn man, refusing to turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. That eventually Jeremiah realized this King Zedekiah wasn't going to listen, and so he took his message to the streets of Jerusalem, telling the people, Nebuchadnezzar is going to show up, and when he shows up, the best thing to do is to open the gates and allow Nebuchadnezzar into the city. Well, that got Jeremiah thrown into a cistern to sort of shut him up. But again, Nebuchadnezzar shows up at the gates of Jerusalem, surrounds the city, and waits, waits, and waits in an effort to sort of starve out the inhabitants into submission. And King Zedekiah eventually goes to Jeremiah to beg him to ask God to save the city. And unfortunately, as is the case many times for us, there was no way to change the consequences except to beg for mercy. And unfortunately, there was no mercy for King Zedekiah because he tried to run and escape, which only ended in more destruction for him and for his family. Now, when we hear a story like that, or we sort of read a story like that, or, or maybe we watch it play out in our life, we can't help but ask, like, what were they thinking? How could anyone be so clueless or so deceived? And Jeremiah, who was there for this entire tragedy and watched the whole thing play out, Jeremiah explains why we're so prone towards self-deception. But he also gives us the way forward. Uh, today we're going to be reading from Jeremiah chapter 17. You can follow along in the Bible app if you don't have the Bible app. 
head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Again, Jeremiah chapter 17. He explains why we're so good at selling ourselves on a bad idea or bad options. Here's what he writes. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. That your heart, my heart, his heart, her heart. Jeremiah chose his adjective carefully because there's a difference between being dishonest and being deceitful. Dishonest is, is a lot easier to spot than deceitful. Dishonest is just not honest, but deceitful usually includes a, a mix of truth, half-truth, and some untruth. The deceitful is really difficult to detect. The dishonest people aren't always clever or deceitful enough to trick you, but deceitful people, they're dangerous. And Jeremiah points out that our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are dangerous. And we don't merely lie to ourselves, we deceive ourselves. We're so easily deceived by our own hearts. He would say, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and wickedly or desperately wicked. That media companies don't share this message when it comes to our hearts because if they did, you wouldn't watch their movies, you probably wouldn't binge their shows, you probably wouldn't add their songs to your playlist. And another translation, translation says it this way, uh, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. That basically, you don't outgrow it. We don't mature away from it. Basically, we can't fix it. That the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Which is why we say things like, I don't understand why I did what I did. I don't understand why I decided what I decided. I don't understand why I chose what I chose. But thankfully, there is hope that we aren't doomed. And if you think about a condition that sort of won't go away in this life, uh, what do we do? Uh, anything with our physical health, whether it's a disease, cancer, a condition that won't go away. Uh, anything with our mental health, maybe depression or chemical imbalances in our brains or disorders. Who really knows how bad they are? And what do we do with them? Well, we constantly supervise them. And even better yet, we allow other people to supervise them. And this is where God comes in the picture. Verse 10, But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Because on our own, we can't fix this condition of our hearts. But when we allow God to supervise us, he can lead us to find hope and help moving forward. He understands how bad our hearts really are. And one of the things that God's supervision brings to our lives is the truth. And if we are going to allow God to supervise us, watch over us, and sort of deal with our hearts, we are going to have to be honest with God, but also with ourselves. So back to question number one, am I being honest with myself? And the sooner you embrace this disturbing fact about yourself, the sooner you'll be able to open up to the advice that sort of conflicts with where your heart is taking you. The sooner you'll be able to open up to the direction and advice that God wants to give to you. The sooner God will be able to help you spot the times when you are trying to deceive yourself. So this week, you should ask yourself out loud, uh, maybe even looking in the mirror, and you should use your name, Chris. Are you being with, honest with yourself, really? And then tell yourself the truth, even if you don't plan to act on the truth. Tell yourself the truth, even when the truth makes you feel bad about yourself, because it is much worse and much more destructive to deceive yourself. And not only that, it is much more destructive to those around you who you love. So to get this kicked off, let's go through a list of questions that for some of you 
will sort of intersect with your current circumstances. And if not, these questions will serve as an example of some of the things we should ask ourselves. Why do you continue to go out with him or her, really? Why are you separated, really? Why are you taking that job or quitting that other job, really? Why did you move in, really? What's the real reason? What's the real reason you don't call your mom, you don't call your kids, your dad, your brother, your sister? Why won't you tell her? Why won't you tell him the truth about what's really going on? It's so, so easy, and we are so quick to try to deceive ourselves, right? It's terrifying to ask and answer those questions, honestly, but it's also empowering and liberating. And Jeremiah tells us that this won't come naturally, that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is beyond cure on our own. So tell yourself the truth. Allow God to tell you the truth. Am I being honest with myself, really? And now that you know, or maybe now that you are reminded that your heart and my heart can be deceitful, Now that you know, you can see the danger. Because remember, the prudent or the wise person, when they see danger, they act appropriately. So I encourage you to make the decision, I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. I will tell myself the truth to help me make better decisions that impact me and other people. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence in our lives. Thank you for being with us, even when we feel bad about us. Thank you that you know all of our faults and all of our flaws and you you know all the icky parts of our lives, and yet you choose to love us anyhow. And so God, as we face the truth, sometimes that's kind of painful for us and it sort of makes us feel bad about ourselves. But God, in those moments, would you remind us that you love us? Would you remind us that you were willing to die for us knowing all of those bad parts of our lives? And yet the truth that you want to give us, the truth that you love us and that you call us a son or a daughter of yours, can set us free. The truth about being honest with ourselves about why we make decisions that we make can help us to be set free and can help us to look to you for help. That when we don't know what to do, you are the one to turn to because you really know us even better than we know ourselves. And you know how to help us. You know how deceitful we can be, but you also know the ways that we can turn that around and how you can help us turn that around. So God, would you help us to be honest with ourselves? This week, as we look at our decisions, as we look at the things that we're kind of embarrassed about, the last season of our life, that maybe some regrets that we have, would you help us to make better decisions by being honest with ourselves? Would you help us to be more Christ-like by facing up to the truth and being honest with ourselves and letting you help us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.